0: You have to kind of take the pressure off yourself a little bit because it's not other people putting the pressure on you. It's yourself. So you have to actively work to unlearn that yourself for yourself and really practicing mindfulness, relaxation, taking breaks for joy, doing things like that can be really helpful at just kind of getting a break from all of it and then coming back to it and making that next best decision. I'm Lindsay. I'm here to teach you proven strategies to be your own therapist that will take you from anxious to relieved. I'm here to help you feel lighter and hopeful while building a life full of meaning. I'm a licensed anxiety therapist running a successful private practice in New York City. So from someone that gives therapy and has been in therapy, I'm here to help you use the formula that moved me forward through serious anxiety in my own life. So, follow along as I share what works and what doesn't. This is Unlock Your Therapy. Hello, and welcome to session number 28 of the Unlock Your Therapy podcast. I'm Lindsay Hutner, your host. Today, I have a great episode lineup for you all. We're going to start out with high and low of the week, where I talk about a high from my week to just pause, reflect. Have gratitude about what's going well. And then I talk about a low of the week to really normalize that things are not always the highlight reel that everyone sees. After high and low, we're going to dive into anxiety. In this week's anxiety, I want to talk about a question that came in through Instagram. If you don't follow me, you can find me at Unlock Your Therapy on Instagram. And you could DM me any questions you want answered here on the podcast. So for anxiety, someone had a question surrounding life transitions. Being in young adulthood, not being sure what you want to do yet, where to go, being really hard on yourself, having high expectations. So I want to talk about early adulthood and decision-making. I also want to go into... People that have found success later on in life and that knowing things can change in the future can really help alleviate pressure that you're putting on yourself. And I'll also share about how I struggled in early adulthood with that high pressure, high expectations on oneself and how that can really drive anxiety. So that's going to be anxiety for today. Then we're going to go into skill of the week. And in skill of the week, I'm talking about what I just posted on Instagram as well, which is all about fear of fainting. So many people get an anxiety or a fear of passing out in public. And I think it's much more common than people think it is. If it's not for you, maybe you'll just find it interesting or you can help out a friend if they ever share this with you in the future. But I've heard from many clients that when they're in the subway, on a bus, uh, even the passenger in a car, on a plane, standing in line at the grocery store is a big one, probably the number one I hear. People start to get panicky, especially if the store or the subway or wherever you are is hot. It feels closed in and you feel like you're kind of stuck. Like You can't exit quickly if you needed to. You feel a little bit confined to that space. Even in line at a grocery store, you're kind of committed. You have a cart full of stuff. You're standing in line. Maybe you're overheating a bit, especially in the winter when you have so much gear on, at least in the New York area and a lot of the country that's cold right now. Having a heavy winter coat, a hat, You can feel a bit overheated. So we're going to talk about what to do if you feel like you're going to pass out from anxiety and also why it's really your body telling you a lie. Because if you're anxious, you're not going to pass out. And we're going to get into that. The facts of passing out, why you can't pass out if you're anxious. It's impossible. And what to do to help yourself get through that feeling and to help your body get rid of those symptoms you might be having from that panic. And we're going to talk a lot about what's happening in the body and exactly what to do for it. So we have a full episode. Then action item of the week is going to be implement what we talk about, and we'll wrap it up into a nice neat bow for you to take home and use. Okay, first up, my high of the week. My high of the week this week has been kind of just normal, which is nice because my kids aren't sick, knock on wood. I'm recovered from having strap. We're doing pretty good and I'm in a nice workflow, which is good because if you're a mom out there or you know moms, you know that this winter has been brutal for illness and I'm just happy to have a week without illness. So... That's where I'm at. The other high is I joined Orange Theory. I've been hearing about Orange Theory from so many of my clients, actually, and also just influencers I follow on Instagram. So I've definitely been influenced to give it a try. I went to a class the other day, and I loved it. I love running. And I signed up because I want to get healthy after having my second child. I want to get back to where I was fitness-wise. And I've been sharing that I've been getting back into my fitness, which has been great and feeling really good. But I want to take it up a notch of leaving my house more and going somewhere because honestly, working from home is so great. It's such a privilege that I get to work from home and my schedule is flexible, especially with having two little kids. And working from home, though, can be very lonely and isolating. So I don't really have coworkers that are here to talk to. And I need to be out in the world a little bit more. So it's a way to force myself to get out in the world a little more, see other humans be in a class-like environment, even though you're doing your own thing, you're amongst people. So and it's really close to my house. There's a new one, like less than 10 minutes away, and their schedule really coincides with my kids' schedule and my work schedule. so... I signed up. So we will see if that's like an impulse purchase or if it's a good decision, we will see. But so far, so good. So that's also a high of my week. And my low of the week, I don't necessarily have a low, except we are we have switched Carson to a big boy bed. And that's a bit of a transition. He doesn't do well with having freedom. He did well being contained in his crib. I even had a crib canopy over it to keep him more contained as he learned to climb out before he was even two. So he's been in there a long time. It worked well for him, but he was a little mischievous the other day, as is happening more and more, the closer we get to four, I feel like, and he learned how to pull the canopy out from under the mattress and like totally destroy it so he can get out. And so it was a quick decision to get him a regular big boy bed. I got him a bed large enough that me or Dan could lay with him if he's sick or needs a little help going to sleep or reading him a book before he goes to bed. Anyway, it's been a transition, but it's going okay. I think it's going well for where he was at and how much he struggles with Being able to sleep in a regular bed without being confined in any way—we are confining him to his room with a baby gate—but for the most part, it's going okay. I am having to lay with him a bit at night. He is scared. He's talking about monsters a lot. I feel really bad for him, so we're laying with him sometimes. The other night, he did go to sleep totally by himself. So that's my goal. So we're working on it. So that's just a little bit of my low—is it's a little more stressful at bedtime. Okay, now diving into anxiety. So I want to talk about life transitions. Being an early adult, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure you put on yourself, especially in college, a lot of pressure from society, and it can be really stressful. That's when I had my anxiety flare up for the first time was when I went away to college. And both times I did therapy the first two times was in college, and I had severe anxiety, and they helped me so much. But a lot of it was the pressure I was putting on myself and having to be self-guided. And it's just a lot to go from a teenager with no cares in the world and being with your best friends all the time to now being a young adult and having to just figure out everything on your own was really stressful. and. You know, a lot of my good friends didn't move, move away to school, so I felt like I was the one leaving, and it was just a stressful period of time and not as fun as one thinks it might be. So something I think is helpful whenever you're just feeling like you don't know the right thing to choose, right? This question was a bit about how do you choose the right career, the right thing to do, you don't want to get left behind of other people. Just remember that people are sharing the highlight reel, right? So you don't want to compare your blooper reel with their highlight reel. People are struggling and probably not sharing their struggles as openly as maybe you're feeling them or as you might be doing. And really with any decision, there's no right or wrong decision. So really letting go of that notion can be very helpful for any time you have to make a decision, even later in life. For example, I could choose to go to a certain college or a certain career. There's no right or wrong answer in that. There's going to be pros and cons to either one. An example I always think of is moving, right? Should I move to this city or that city? Well, there's pros and cons to each. There's not going to be a clear, oh, this was a terrible wrong decision, and the other one was the correct decision to make, if that makes sense. So just kind of letting go of that. There's no one right or one wrong answer. It's just different. It's just gonna be different things are positive, different things are negative about any situation you're choosing. So I think once you let go of that, it really frees you up to be able to breathe and take the pressure off and just kind of making the next best decision, the next best step, and not really thinking about the whole future laid out in front of you. An example I love for this is pregnancy, right? And someone in early adulthood probably can't relate, but. It's a good analogy, I think. In pregnancy, before you even have a baby, you can't really think about the whole 10 months plus, right? Like, oh, what's my kid going to be like when they're five? I don't know. You're just getting pregnant possibly. And you can't really think about the whole nine to 10 months laid out before you have pregnancy. You really need to take pregnancy one day at a time, especially in the beginning. Most women are very sick. So really just one day at a time to get through and survive and make it to the next appointment, to the next step, the next milestone. That's kind of all you can do to keep your head day by day and mindful in it. You can't think of life in a 10-month interval, right? Because a year from now is very different than how you think it's going to be. So that's why you just need to take it one step at a time. And remember, life unfolds one moment at a time, like this moment, this moment. It doesn't unfold because we're thinking about the next year or five years. That's not how life happens. It's just happening right now, unfolding before us. So just making the next best decision each moment, each hour, that's all you can do. Of course, there's times we need to plan and apply for things for next year. I'm applying to schools for my kids for next year right now. And you have to do that, of course, but doing so mindfully and thoughtfully without doing it anxiously and panicked and ruminating and overthinking, right? You're just making a decision based on the facts you have right now. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but you're just making the next best decision. And I think that's the best mantra to have about it. And I want to go over this list I found of successful people that have found success later in life. Because what you have to remember is you may not like the first career you choose or the first school you go to or the first college or the first place you live. I've lived in, I don't know, probably at least eight different apartments, And I've loved all of them for different reasons. And I've lived in eight different cities. And you just make the next best decision. I would leave one apartment like, okay, I could find something a little better. Oh, I'd like to be closer to this area. And I'd move somewhere else. A year or two later, I'd move somewhere else because I found the next best thing. Oh, this is a little closer to my new job. You just kind of make each decision along the way. Okay, but I did want to share this. So I found a list saying the average age of business owners, I'm sorry, of business founders, like founding people of big companies. The average age of these business founders is 40 years old. I love that. Vera Wang. Vera Wang sold her first dress at 40 years old to Henry Ford, who created the Model T at age 45. Eric Yuan. I think that's how you say his name. He's the founder of Zoom. He founded Zoom at age 41. The creators of Roblox, if you don't know what Roblox is, you probably don't have kids. My kids aren't to the age of Roblox yet, but they're getting there. Um, the creators of Roblox founded it at age 41 and 46. Martha Stewart did not become successful until age 41 when she released her first cookbook. Okay, so those are just a few examples. There's a really big list of these. But I just wanted to share that because we often put so much pressure on ourselves when we're young. And often those decisions don't exactly matter later on. Like my GPA in college was 3.9. That does not matter whatsoever right now in my life. And it wouldn't really matter in getting a job or doing much else. But I put so much pressure on myself in college to do well. But that gave me anxiety, and it made me end up in therapy for a long time. (laughs) And you have to kind of take the pressure off yourself a little bit because it's not other people putting the pressure on you. It's yourself, and you have to rewire that. And it might be unlearning some things maybe from your parents or society or your school you're at or wherever you are in life. Maybe the pressure is high in that environment. So, you have to actively work to unlearn that yourself for yourself. And really practicing mindfulness, relaxation, taking breaks for joy, doing things like that can be really helpful at just kind of getting a break from all of it and then coming back to it and making that next best decision. I created something brand new the No More People Pleasing Mini Course. I help women to stop people-pleasing and put themselves first without the guilt. What would life look like if you could stop asking your partner to order food for you in a restaurant or ask your boss for that raise you're long overdue for? I'm going to teach you four proven strategies, research proven strategies, that's going to bring you from people-pleasing and passive to empowered and confident. You're going to use my outline, my scripts, my beautifully designed PDFs, to get the exact skills you need to become more assertive in your life. I'm gonna teach you four skills through my videos and worksheets that's gonna bring you to a place of confidence and being assertive in your life. You're gonna get my beautifully designed self-esteem daily journal to print out, my practice assignments to start changing your mindset and your behaviors. If you sign up now before I launch, you can get it for $29. That's the lowest it will ever be and I'm giving everyone who signs up now a bonus gift. So go to at unlockyourtherapy on Instagram, click the link in my bio to get on the list. Now for skill of the week, I want to talk about a fear of fainting, which is a very common fear. It's extremely common in just generalized anxiety, panic disorder, etc. And it's pretty normal like when you're in a store, like imagine being in, I don't know, like in the mall, right? Or in Macy's or in Walmart or whatever. i right? imagine it being really crowded, like in Costco and it's really, really crowded. And you're getting hot, overheated. You know, you ever have those moments where you're like, oh my God, I just got to get out of here. Like you just feel so done and like overstimulated by the store. That's a real thing that happens. And for people that have anxiety as well, being online or being feeling like you're kind of trapped in that scenario, and then you start to panic and get overheated and all of that's happening at once, it can cause you to feel like you're going to pass out or faint. And it's a real feeling. But often people who have this feeling or say, oh, I felt like I was going to pass out. I felt like I was going to faint. Those people have often never fainted before. And they're describing this feeling because they imagine that's what it feels like to faint or pass out. But really, if you're anxious and you're panicking and you're worked up, your blood pressure is elevated and it is therefore impossible that you could pass out or faint. Why? Because in order to pass out or faint, passing out and fainting is a loss of consciousness and it's caused by a severe quick and sudden drop in blood pressure. And that can happen for a number of reasons. A lot of those are heart problems and different things like that, different disorders and diseases that can affect that and cause that to happen. And so it's impossible if you're feeling anxious and panicked that you're going to pass out because you're worked up, you're sweaty, you're panicky, you're not going to pass out. It's just a feeling. And I'm going to explain why you feel that way. When you're anxious, you're breathing quicker and more shallow, and counterintuitively what happens with the body is because you're breathing that way, you feel like you're taking too shallow of a breath, you feel like you need more oxygen and more air, like you can't get a deep enough breath, you feel like you need more oxygen, but it's actually the opposite. If you're taking shallow, quick breaths and you're probably not even noticing you're doing it, it's just a symptom of anxiety happening in the body, you are getting too much oxygen in the body. So it's really the flip side of what you would think intuitively. You're getting too much oxygen because you're breathing too quickly. You're exhaling too quickly from the last exhale. And when you do that, you're expelling carbon dioxide from the body. So, you're getting rid of too much carbon dioxide at once, and the body can't replenish it quick enough. So, it's being saturated with too much oxygen, not enough carbon dioxide being made, and it's causing an off balance in the system. So, it's gonna leave you feeling lightheaded, dizzy, feeling like you're gonna faint or pass out, but that's not actually what's happening. And if you try to take a deep breath, it's gonna make those symptoms worse. So, do not try to take a deep breath. Instead, you're gonna try to slow the breathing consciously and deliberately. So, you're not gonna take a huge deep breath, but you're going to breathe in just really slowly for a count of four. Just in, one, two, three, four. You're gonna hold that breath for two counts one, two. Then you're gonna exhale for a count of about Three. One, two, three. See how you're breathing in longer, you're holding it, and then you're exhaling a little shorter. That's going to give your body some room to catch up. It's going to catch up on making the carbon dioxide. It's going to alleviate the dizziness, the brain fog, all of those symptoms that can happen. Tunnel vision can happen, wobbly legs, feeling like you're going to pass out. And really, it's slowing the breath and breathing a little less. Not deeper, not more, not more oxygen, slower, more deliberate, not so deep. And the goal is to really not be so hypervigilant about the breathing. The more hypervigilant people are about their breathing, usually the more anxious breathers they are. So they're breathing those shallow, quicker breaths, or they become kind of obsessed with it, where you can't stop thinking about your breathing, you're too aware of your breathing. <laughs> So we want to do this in a deliberate way. So I think that's a bit helpful. I know I find it helpful if you just feel those panicky feelings to just know like, okay, I can't pass out. I'm safe. I'm not going to faint in public. And even if you did, what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to call someone. They're going to help you. People are often afraid of being embarrassed in public, like on the subway. I always tell my clients this. One of my clients told this back to me the other day. She said, I was feeling panicky. I felt like I was going to pass out. And I just had to say to myself, you know what? So what? What's the worst that's going to happen? If I pass out, they're going to call like the you know, subway conductor, the medic will come or whatever. Like someone will help me. <laughs> Eventually, someone will help me. So that's just like a nice lighthearted take on it too of like, what's the worst that's going to happen here? And just knowing what's happening in the body is helpful. And another thing that would be helpful to remember is if it were some illness you had, right? Where you feel like, oh, something's wrong with me. Maybe I do have a heart condition. I feel like I'm going to pass out. It's not situational, right? Like a heart condition or a disease. It wouldn't discriminate based on your situation. So if you feel panicky and you're going to pass out in a hot and crowded subway car or on a bus, Or getting on a plane or in a grocery store in line or in a crowded mall where you're really overstimulated, a disease or a true serious issue, like a heart problem or a brain tumor or whatever, it wouldn't discriminate. It wouldn't act up in that situation and not like at home when you're relaxed. And I think that's the key to a lot of anxiety symptoms because anxiety is so physical. People worry that they have a serious ailment wrong with them and that it's just not been detected, right? Like they're on an episode of house and that someone just hasn't found out what's really wrong with them and it's not anxiety. But if you think about it, if I had a problem with my heart, a brain tumor, it wouldn't act up in stressful situations, right? Why would it act up in stressful situations? It would act up anytime. It would act up when I'm getting a massage or when I'm relaxed or when I'm out for a walk with a friend or out for a drink or out for dinner with my husband. It wouldn't just act up in the grocery store in line when I'm hot and overheated and anxious and panicky and I had a stressful day at work and I got to get home. And no, it wouldn't be situational. So try to remember that too. I think that's a really helpful key if you can keep it in mind. So, that's it for the skill of the week. And now action item of the week is going to be take this and apply it to whatever you need to apply this to. Right? Even if it's not a fear of fainting, but if you get panicky about something or you ruminate about something, try to use techniques of the stress is situational, therefore it's not a serious ailment or a serious issue like laying dormant in the body that a doctor needs to find, because I think most of people think, I think that. And in terms of decisions, whatever decisions you have in your life right now, no matter what life stage you're in, even if that's not early adulthood, for me, it's not early adulthood, but I have to make big decisions all the time. Now that I'm a mom of two kids, I have to make big decisions for my children all the time what doctor to bring them to, what allergist to bring them to. Should I get this one a shot? Should I get that one, uh, this procedure done? Should I sign them up for this school? Should I sign them up for swim lessons? Are they going to never learn how to swim? Is Carson going to learn Spanish? Right? It's just constant decisions of what's the best thing to do. And really there's no best thing to do. It's just what's the next best decision for you? What's the next right thing? And it's just pros and cons to each one. If I sign up my kid for this school versus that school, it's likely not going to be horrible at either one. It's likely just pros and cons of each. This one's closer to our house. This one seems a little more rigorous academically, but this one has more activities and will make him more well-rounded. This one has less kids in the class. so You get more attention. This one has an outdoor playground and an indoor playground for winter time right? It's just the next best thing. So whatever decision you're struggling with, obviously you can see where my mind is always at with these children, but whatever it is for your life, it could be as simple as which vacation to go on. We often talk about that when we fantasize about going on a vacation. (laughs) What's the best vacation to go on? This one has a beach vacation vibe. That's relaxing. This one's more adventurous. That would be fun this one's in the mountains, that would be really cool to see. We've never been there before, but we've been to this one before. Just pros and cons, right? There's no right answer to that. It's just preference and the next best thing for you and where you're at in this season of life. So I hope that's helpful and I will talk to you all next week.